So what is it we're learning? What, what is the there that we're heading towards? What the fuck are we trying to do? Why are we trying to do it? You come to a city like New York and everything's like, you know, so big. You think, is this the system we're trying to change? Is this the place where you know, these buildings that are set to last for such a long time are actually going to change the mindset of the ants that live within? What a myth. Maybe you should just sit back, enjoy our lives with our families and watch us do what, you know, inevitably we're going to do to ourselves and the planet. Nature will bounce back, you know, one and a half million years from now. It's questionable whether human beings will be there or if we are in a very different state. And so no matter how much good is happening in our world, we've got more food, less wars, etc. This is like this heaving thing that we live on the surface of and we're not paying attention to the fact that it's not well. That was Fabian and I sitting at Chelsea Piers in New York City, where we met up about three months after Antarctica. We were both at the same stage. Something big was behind us, and we wondered, where does all that effort go when you give it out into the world? And then, for me, I needed to make more sense of the moment, the blindfold that Fabian convened. What lingers, and what's still to come, long after we move on from this story? This is the final episode of this series, maybe even of this podcast. And like always, I'm going to bring you right back onto the ship. But this time, I'm going to give you a sense of where it all left off, and maybe even what it all means, at least for me. I hope you've enjoyed this series. This has been the story that managed to get made even when all the odds were stacked up against it. And one last appeal. I'm here without a marketing budget and without the backing of an industry giant. So truly the only way for the story to get out is by word of mouth, by your suggestions and your reviews. So please, if it hits you, share it. Thank you for coming on the ship with me and thank you for sharing. One last time, let's get back on the ship. We can get your attention around. Uh, just to orient your mind maps, last night we headed a little bit north to safely spend the evening and night. And then in the early hours of the morning we started heading back south again to where we were yesterday evening, to the ice edge. The wind came up this morning and is a bit strong. At the moment we're trying to find a more sheltered place for us to get out in the zodiacs. Uh, so it's a, a listening and watch, watch and wait event. Quietly optimistic that we'll get out in the zodiacs this morning. But if we could gather you all in the lounge at nine o'clock to set the scene for the day, that would be terrific. So see you at nine in the lounge. It felt like a year ago, but last night was the vote, just 12 hours ago. By the time I crawled into bed, it was really late. But it was a difficult night. The ship felt like it was in rough seas, and I spent most of the night listening to someone barf in the room next to me. Good morning, ladies, and welcome to another um, spectacular day in Antarctica. Um, One of the coaches on the faculty, Leslie Ann Houghton, who we all called L.A., led us into this difficult morning. 
Oh, everyone's had a great night's sleep. Um, so this morning we're going to be gentle and kind with each other. You know, this is a, a time of the journey where emotions are, are coming up. I know for me, I was incredibly excited this morning to discover that I had a clean thermal top that I'd forgotten <laughs> that I had packed. And that just, you know, really, it really just set, set my day off um, quite well. Um, and then, you know, I find myself standing before you feeling really present also. Even through some of the difficult things, um, last night was a very difficult decision, a difficult process to come through. What I was really present to in the room was the kindness and support and care that we all had for each other. And that's a, that's a really wonderful thing and a, and a wonderful thing for us to continue to grow. And in that spirit, bringing forward that love and gratitude and contribution to each other. And I'd like to invite an open frame. So I invite you to share um, what might be present for you right now. And then we open the floor like we have on so many other days to open frame, to let it all out. Dr. Karen Alexander bravely took the floor first. Uh, yesterday was probably the worst day I've had since I got on the boat, and that's for a bunch of reasons. Um, first of all, I moved from upstairs to downstairs, so I'm sure a lot of you know what that means. And then, of course, we had the discussion and the decision that we did last night. I'm bringing it up because I feel like I'm in a safe space and I feel like I can share my feelings with you. But also, I'm bringing it up because it was my first real leadership challenge. Um, I felt that I had to try and be present to the situation and to stay in the blue and I actually feel like I achieved that yesterday and so today I'm actually feeling quite proud of myself um, and I am really grateful to Homeward Bound for actually putting me in that position uh, where I actually feel like I really learned something so thank you This is Pervi Gupta so, um, so trying to observe I guess the process we went through and also reflecting on the thought process I went through and trying to apply some of the learnings or ideas we've been talking about in terms of leadership in the last few weeks, days. We also talked about how women leadership is collaborative, more collaborative, you know, and, and I guess there is a balance between collaborative and being directive or assertive or whatever that might take or taking a risk. And maybe something to think about that we need both and we need a balance. One way of doing it, which might be the collaborative, may not work in all situations, and is that something which can stop us from taking a risk? Again, food for thought that, yes, we should be inclusive and collaborative, but maybe there will be times where you might have, we might have to be a little bit more tougher and take that risk, which might not seem like the thing to do. Thank you. What I'm really loving hearing is the application of of the, um, the, the models, the frameworks, the things with our learning, our leadership's learning that we've been talking about that we're actually now being given an opportunity to, to start to apply. We're gonna dip back down to New York for a moment. Now I know I'm in, I'm a, now I'm in complete sensory overload, much like Antarctica. <laughs> yeah, Rotherigate for me was such a defining moment. You know, there are plenty of people who would have said the majority rule. I didn't. My instinct was when we can't take all, you can't take any. It was me who initiated the, the blind vote. 
It was me who goes upstairs and debates the fact that if a small number out of a whole doesn't want to go, then it is not right for women to go. And transformational change work doesn't happen with a textbook. It doesn't happen because you logically go A, B, C, D, E, F, G. We dealt with the anger that flowed from that. But the next morning, I wish we had fully recorded what happened. Because I don't know that we actually did. You may be the only person who recorded what happened. The open frame discussion? That was transformational. I've got the it. The poems, the poetry, the person. I've got it all. See, that is a transformational moment. No matter how much you didn't like what happened, no matter you didn't like the anger or the uncertainty, guess what? That's where transformational change occurs. It doesn't happen in the clean, the tight, the controlled moments. It happens when you are forced to confront, I contributed to that, it was my anger. It was, I didn't have to react that way. Yep. The microphone was passed around the room and I can only share a selection of everything that was said here. And I realized that actually the decision we took yesterday and the way we took the rest of the decision. And don't miss the opportunities to enjoy the rest of this trip. At the end of the session, Dr. Helen Corney read something she wrote on the ship. Um, I wondered if I might be able to read something that I wrote a few days ago, and it's called Antarctic Ball Gown. There are sections of Antarctica with wide expanses of pure white ice. And it was too beautiful to let it go with this bad sound, so I asked her to record it again from home. Majestic glaciers clothed in gleaming white ball gowns, with sweeping swirls and flounces, white taffeta lined with blue petticoats flowing down to caress the sea, creating stunning contrasts, strong and bold, flashes of light against the dark backdrop of the rocky ballroom. Within these gleaming expanses lie huge open wounds, tears in the taffeta, irregular, misshapen, Long tentacle fingers splintering out into the perfection. Look deeply into these wounds, and one is reminded of the scarring that can occur within the human soul. Deep aqua blue fissures bleeding down into unfathomable depths. Intense, beautiful, gaping. The essence of mourning, sorrow, and heart wrenching loss. Fracturing the soul prizing it open with ruthless disregard. These fissures are treacherous. Succumb completely to them, and you land twisted, broken, and lost to this world. After all that emotion, all that transformational learning, it was time to head out on the Zodiacs for a tour. Through a frozen maze, full of dead ends and broken off bits of glaciers and icebergs so old they look like floating castles. And we, let's go and play with some ice. And to do that um, in an ordered fashion, somewhat, if, like I said on the daily program, those with odd-numbered cabins, if you guys can go first and make your way forward one to the haberdashery and go on Zodiac, they'll be out for about an hour and then come back in the even-numbered cabins and I'll make some announcements about that. And rug up because it's quite cold. Natasha, is our position still the Antarctic Circle kind of zone? 
Are we south of that? Yes, south of the It turned out that our Zodiac driver, Natasha, knew a lot about the ice. Green, brown ice. And then you can also try to see some uh, black ice. Oh, yeah. would be floating on the surface of the water, just visible. And it's actually not really black, but it's uh, transparent. It's the densest of the ice. It's the whiskey ice. It's the whiskey ice, exactly. Is it? Yeah. yeah. So th that thing over there that looks like it's a rock is not a rock? No, it's not a rock. Wow. Is it because of the density as well? Yeah, it's about the coloring of the ice is about density, about light, light waves and a reflection. Oh, you have okay. the water reflection as well. And, and it's the cloud cover. That's right. If, if you have a bright sunny day, most of this will look white. That's right. And That's if right. you have a cloud cover, you get this really nice bluish um, tinge. And this one is quite dense. You can see it is on the edge of being transparent. Mm -hmm. so after deep blue, the next the next shift is transparent. Yeah, not not actually after deep blue. It's like um, yeah. Well, it goes from very white if you have snow and a lot of air in the ice. This is the one that's very white. And then you go through different shades of blue. And yeah, the last step is if there is no more, or nearly no more air bubbles in the ice, then you have the glass-like transparent ice chunks. We came back on the ship, feeling cleansed of our cabin fever and happy to be off that giant emotional roller coaster. We drank whiskey with the ice from a glacier. When you hear the ice crackling in there, it's actually the gases from the atmospheres from thousands of years ago trapped in the glacier that are escaping. So you're literally you're literally drinking time. <laughs> we can die happy, right? And then, like the day could handle another twist, the captain and Greg convened a meeting in the common room. Ay, ay, ay. Um, <laughs> a heady 24 hours we've had, and you know, I nearly turned around this morning when it was windy and snowy. I thought, oh, we'll just go a little bit further down and see what it was like, and it's turned into this, which is extraordinary as we know. Now, two um, pieces of information have uh, come to us and changed in, overnight. Uh, that are important to us. Number one is that uh, we've heard from the base leader at Rothera. <coughs> he says that it's wide open there, no ice. The second thing is that the weather forecast has changed and gives us quite favourable conditions tonight. <laughs> now. I had no idea whether this was going to open up scars or wounds or smiles. Or... But um, they're, they're, they're important changes. 
because they resolve some unknowns for us and, and improve our conditions. And so I think there's a, a, a really a strong argument for us to go to Rotherham. And and I I I know that uh, risks given the stuff that you, beautiful stuff you were saying this morning in synthesize <laughs> turning things on their ear a little bit again emotionally, but hopefully on the upside. And um, I'm very very conscious of the sensitivities in and around that. There are individual sensitivities which are of great significance. But taking that into account, I would like you to go with me on this yeah. and um, take that one on my shoulders, but I'd like the captain to help me. <laughs> In so far as, as explaining the weather situation, so... Uh, uh, well, thank you. Uh, my authority cannot be delegated or passed on. Basically, the conditions are fine to go down. Uh, I just want to show you where we are. Um, maybe here is better. So we are somewhere here at the moment. So the idea is to backtrack, go all the way up to the, uh, the Antarctic Circle and go around this island. It's about 12 hours on the way down to Rotterdam. Um, we have some uh, weather info for tonight, and this is the weather forecast for tonight. What does green mean? Green means good. <laughs> Red is bad. So basically we're going to have northeasterlies, 18 knots, so um, following seas. And for waves, next one, for waves blue is good. Pink is also good. So we have following seas, basically. And you see, this one is fantastic down here. And it's free of ice. The leader of the Rotterdam base was telling us that they are waiting for us. They are excited that we're coming. Uh, we have not replied yet to them. No. <laughs> <laughs> because we were like, here we go. Let's wait a little bit. I mean, that was a good call from, from Julieta. And um, there is a possibility also to go alongside there because there is a pier, there is a wharf. So it's going to be a dry landing, hopefully. Um, that's basically the information that I wanted to give you. Uh, to reconsider that, I think we, we should go. Um, it's uh, once in a lifetime, uh, even for us, I mean, this is very unusual because usually the conditions down here are not favorable, let's say. Ice conditions are always a little bit hard. And the intention was actually to go through the passage here, but um, unfortunately we have a lot of ice, you know, on the channels. So that's it, basically. Any questions? Yeah. Um, so would we go overnight and visit the base tomorrow, or still on the fifth? On the fifth. And then come back that night or something? They were expecting us on the morning of the fifth. Yeah. Okay. okay. See you later. So is that is that fair to say that 
You are happy to go with me on this? Yeah. <laughs> Will it be a bit bumpy? Should we take some blood? Will it be a bit bumpy? And uh, you know the sort of conditions we had last night? Like that, I expect. Okay, so you can judge from that whether you feel like you. Uh, if you have any concerns, err on the side of caution, but I'd say take something light. repeatedly seen in this environment there's risk associated with these decisions I think the risk is very much worthwhile um, and in a calculated fashion I think it's a good one and but if anyone anyone has any concerns really please come and talk to me about them and just to remember that if we hadn't gone through this we wouldn't have had the educational moment that we had of the leadership <laughs> or the orcas so it's We had something really wonderful this morning that didn't happen and I reckon now might be the perfect time for the team who are going to do it to us all. Something to do with Romy and come on, give us five minutes of it guys. No, I don't need that. Okay, so bear with me. This is incredibly dorky but incredibly fun. I'm going to say ha, and you're going to say ha. I'm going to say it would have been impossible to script that any better. <laughs> Ending the meeting with some laugh therapy after a doozy of a day when it was still only noon? That night, we all took our seasickness medication and buckled down. It was not an easy night, although there had been worse. And the next morning, we woke up in Marguerite Bay, which was like passing through the looking glass. The water on the bay was flat and crystal clear. Fresh snow on the mountains, a bright sunny day. It was all perfect. Walking along the shore, I spotted the captain ahead of me, so I ran to catch up with him. Captain, we made it. We made it. Are you pleased? Absolutely. You, you ordered up a pretty decent day for us as yes, well. Yes, of course. This is a part of the package. Yeah. What an incredible place. I, I like to say, everybody, I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> well, there might be some of that. It does help that the uh, 
Today couldn't be more perfect. Oh, amazing. And that, this is very unusual, actually. Yeah. Well, well we knew, you know, the weather was fine and there's a way to go. Well, you found it. We're all happy oh, that you here. found the way. Oh my goodness, the polar plunge is happening and I can't make it there fast enough. And then, after all this, after all the emotion, all the back and forth, the meltdowns, the tears, the clapping, the cheers, we actually made it to Rothera. Ready to go. Yep. You're right. Here we go. Thank you, Helen. Thank you. It's so funny to actually walk off the ship. Well, I'm glad I put a pair of leggings under my jeans. Because <laughs> I wasn't, and now I'm glad. Required boot clean. <sighs> Solid ground. Sam, 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 you come with us. I think so. I think you are. All right. Your letters near our letters, so. Yeah. I'd say that's probably the way. We, <laughs> it's kind of hard to imagine. This is what people were getting so upset about. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, be careful what you wish yeah. for, is what I'm thinking, sorry. Sure. <laughs> okay. They have like a, a rope tow or something over there. Did you not, did you not uh, get like a little bit of excitement when the, the announcement, like then Greg told us that there were only two groups that, are, that come through here every year? Like, is there not? Yeah, yes. I'm just, you know. Present to the context. bleakness of this spot at the present. It's not moment. even any penguins. It looks like, really Antarctic hell? though. Like it's got that remoteness feeling to it. I think. Except remoteness with like a tractor. And I'm actually, yeah. I, 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 I'm ambivalent about field stations. You know, uh -huh. just having such a strong big yeah. footprint. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, um, but. No, yes, we're here. We're here. Yeah, we made it. Okay. Doesn't the Union Jack flapping in the wind there do a little flutter in your heart? No. <laughs> no. Sorry. I thought it was quite relevant and puts it all into perspective that really this is just a little blimp on the radar of this whole place. What? Like the, the, the little flag that's up and shot that uh. signifies a lot doesn't really mean that much. How do you feel about coming here? I'm excited to reach what, you know, if I thought the end of the world was Ushuaia, and then I thought the end of the world was Deception Island, and then I thought the end of the world was touching the continent, pretty sure this actually is the end of the world. Definitely not. <laughs> it, it goes further, but then you then you go around the horn, then you're yeah. then you're going back, going you know, back west. So, as south goes, it's pretty fucking far south. <laughs> and so we got to where we've been headed all along. The journey was complete. The Rothera Research Station, the British Antarctic Survey. So it's very formal sounding, isn't it? Oh, of course, it's got to be very proper. Representation of the Queen. Oh, the lab. The Bonner Laboratory. These are quite... It's got to be said proper. The Bonner. The Bonner. These are um, pretty fancy buildings, actually. Quite new, corrugated 
aluminum, a nice two-tone green with even style points. With the red. The, with the red window. Contrasting tones. It's beautiful. Oh my, actually, of... my house is painted a similar color. Really? <laughs> Make you feel like you're at home? It brings some green. Oh, <laughs> it brings some green into the bleak environment, some yeah. color. Oh, here's an old mushing Hudson. sleigh. I wonder what they use. I guess they move stuff around on it still. Transport. But not with dogs. And yeah, it was fantastically interesting. We met a ton of scientists, got a full tour of their base, and learned how they live in tents while they're out on research missions, just like the early explorers did. It occurred to me when I was leaving that more people have summited Everest than have ever been to Rothera. But I don't really know what to do with that fact. So I'm just going to hold on to it. Just, I got to the end of the day. Just totally, completely sensory overload. Yeah. Emotionally done. I don't know how you done. did that. I really don't know how you did that. Because you were listening to or recording people from before breakfast till after dinner for... Did you have any days off? No. Any time off in any of those days? No. Some parts of some days when I didn't record. I took the night off as my night off. But that was it. You know, I kind of, I went through this. You asked me what it was like to come home and how I've been feeling. And I think it actually, it took a little while to realize how much I had absorbed mm. and how much I hadn't absorbed. There are times when I've hated home about I've hated what it's become. I've, I've never felt so criticized, so personally under the microscope, so flawed in so many ways as I have in home about. You know, I've spent 34 years doing the work that I do. I have had a company that's done global work. We scrutinize our work and evaluate it on a regular basis. Home Abound, it was very far from that in the first round. And I found that, you know, you, you put this, people just massively don't know the work involved. So last year, Home Abound is short by $20,000. Where is that money going to come from? From me. There's no one else to turn to. So not only have I put thousands of hours into it, my company has subsidised its rent. We've paid its rental, telephones, equipment, and then I've topped it up in order to hear a level of quite sometimes quite abusive criticism that I'm gobsmacked would be delivered to somebody who's trying to help you. And, you know, I've, I've, I've learnt to say a few things to myself. One is where there's smoke, there's fire. Have the courage to look at yourself and work out what you can do differently. Uh, and you can't... You know, ask other people to go through transformation change if you're not willing to yourself. So listen with as much grace as I can. But then I've come to learn some really complex things about women. And there have been times, certainly even in the last six months, where I've thought, oh my God, if I'm stranded on a desert island, I truly hope it's with men. I do not want to be stranded with women. And certainly no more than two. And I hope I get to choose the two or three that I'm stranded with. But, jeez, there are times when I've just gone... Why are you being so cruel? Why are you being so unkind? Where is your responsibility to say, just can we hit the pause for a moment? Can I give you some feedback? Or can I give her some feedback? So I've seen some things in women I don't like. Probably confirmed for me that men and women should work together. What do you think? And you're not just a journalist. You shouldn't pretend to be. 
Yes, you can capture the narrative, but you're in this narrative. You could, you're willy-nilly, you're part of the narrative. You can't sit objectively to one side. You come to the table with opinion. I didn't go into this with a logic and a plan. I went in with a plan to make a 20-minute story. I didn't go in with the notion that I would spend... The rest of your life telling the story. I'm not giving the rest of my life to it yet, but I've got two years under my belt of having given a whole lot of time and energy and thought to this. And you know, it's funny, I've spent a lot of my life looking for the right kind of story to tell. And I actually think it took me 20 years to figure out what it is I write about. And um, it happened to kind of land on this. So while I went in to make a 20 minute story and it turned into a three and a half hour epic, and I did this from my kitchen table, <laughs> off my hard drive, with zero dollars funding and, you know, lots of goodwill. But listening was never enough for you. you were ne listening was never enough for you. You started the first podcast series by putting yourself into the story. That's where it started. You, you're not a bystander. It's a myth for you. You're in boots and all. You know, I can remember being told once upon a time, when there's a war to fight, no one wants to go to war. And no one really knows when they're called, and most people are afraid. But guess what? You got called. I don't know if you and I, either of us, will get any accolades, but we got called. I think this is the underpinning narrative where ordinary people are called to action. And we live in an era where ordinary people need to know they can make a difference. There's just ordinary people coming into home and And they come with all the complexity and argument and problems that extraordinary people I don't know if I actually agree with that. They're not ordinary people. They are, they've defied the odds. They have a, a master's or a PhD level of education. There was a Nobel laureate on yeah, board. Sure. There were Rhodes Scholars. There were uh, <laughs> numerous people who've been to Ivy League or high-ranking, yeah. you know, Oxford, Cambridge, come on. These All are, right, delete uh, that okay. one. They're not I'm backpedaling. No, well, no. I mean ordinary, uh, the, okay, I agree, I agree. You're 100% right. They're extraordinary people or doing an ordinary thing. They're ordinary people who have gone against the odds. I mean, our Nobel laureate is indeed an extraordinary person. But I would say most of the homeward-bound women show in how they process and the issues that they deal with. They're like every other person I've had to deal with. I don't, there are no themes on Homeward Bound that are massively different from the themes I run into with working in women in many quarters. I know what you meant. I, that, that stripped down all of their titles yeah. and job descriptions and all of their fancy educations that at heart they are ordinary people. That's what you meant. Thank you. Yeah. And but they're dealing with the same issues. But it's actually hard. I think I was quite starstruck for a period of time, and I arrived at um, I arrived in Argentina with a pretty substantial imposter syndrome feeling of how am I going to keep up? Yeah, but you know what happened? Eighty percent of them felt the same way. I mean, I you so held your own ground. I don't. You know, it's, it's, I don't. I don't need sympathy. I'm just saying I it's know. it's a woman's job to feel like they're an imposter in the place that they're in. I agree. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I feel like an imposter. I agree. I... Um, I've left Antarctica a lot of times. <laughs> uh, and I've found in that that 
I never know what I'm going to feel like mm -hmm. when I take the first walk in the streets of Ushuaia. Mm -hmm. It becomes a bit of a mystery and it varies from time to time, surprisingly enough. Um, but I've also learned, uh, it's too late for you guys. Antarctica's changed you already. <laughs> <laughs> Locked and loaded. So uh, I've found it useful not to hang on to the desire to go back to Antarctica or to be in that space too greedily. And that it just, it's in you now and, and it pops up when you need it. Yeah. You can know that it pops up when you need it. And with that, you can relax with it. Walk around and feel a distance from what's going on around you, if you like, almost. Um, that's, that's quite potent, I feel. Mm -hmm. At the end of a cinema verite documentary, there's often no obvious conclusion drawn. It was a moment in time, and that moment ended, and thus so did the film. And while I love this for film, for a podcast, I still feel like I need to wrap it up with some thoughts and some music. There we go. I've spent a long time with this story, more than five years. And while the story has gestated, many significant chapters of my life have unfolded around me, and they've all taken a turn to color what it all means. When I began to follow the story, yes, I had a dream to go to Antarctica. But to be fair, it was more than just going there. It was the whole package. Getting to go to this place with this bunch of people who were all doing it for a purpose, a journey. My instinct told me that going would put me inside of a story that would grow and unfold in real time. While I was on the ship, trying to figure out what it all meant, what the vote was, my first conclusion went like this. The women made a choice, but then the men, the captain and Greg, were the ones who actually got to decide. They were, after all, the two men actually in charge of this vessel. Was this the grim but nonetheless natural turn of events? It seems that somehow, in the end, patriarchy triumphed. And maybe in the face of danger and fear, we retreat back to our known territory. And then revel in how good that felt. Recall, we cheered when the men told us we could go, which meant the decision which we had so painfully made with our vote was invalidated. Once I got home, after I had some distance from all of it, I began to move away from this conclusion. While it was factually true, it didn't actually take into account all the underlying conditions. It didn't value the learning that had preceded the decision, and worse, it ignored the triumphs. Why didn't I value that these women had pulled together in a difficult moment? What about the trust that was built? And what can we learn from this open system of communication? Was I saying this all vanished? That the men took it away? No, it didn't vanish. In fact, in many ways, the vote allowed a change of decision. These women weren't the victims of a patriarchal environment. In fact, they were empowered, and they stopped that traditional chain of command, if only briefly, had their voices heard, and changed the outcome of the story. Who am I to take away the victory by concluding that the men had triumphed? And so I shifted. And here's where I landed next. If women could stop being shitty to each other, good things can happen. And I could start with myself. 
But this conclusion made me feel dark inside. And I worked really hard to avoid it. I kept writing it and then deleting it, recording it, and then taking it out. I had to examine how I was part of the problem. Meanwhile, out in the world, it was 2018 and then 2019. Looking back at this time, now that we're living through a global pandemic, these years feel different. Like we didn't know how good we had it then. And then the world took a crazy turn through many lanes of oncoming traffic and we landed in 2020. And it's probably fair to say that it took us all by surprise. These last two years of watching my children go through their adolescence in lockdown, doing remote school, reflecting how everyone, though clearly not in equal measure, was and is knowingly affected by the same thing, it's all brought me to a quiet place inside. Specifically, it brought me back to Antarctica. At a time when it felt like everything around me was breaking, I had that memory, that experience, to draw from. And at some point, after a bunch more reflection, I landed on this new and final conclusion that I want to share with you. What that was and what this is are the same thing when you boil it down. It's a transformational learning experience. Right now, no matter where you live or what you do, you've had to, or you've chosen to, make some big changes in your life. For me, it was the odd experience of this blind vote after nearly getting stuck in the ice in Antarctica and then brought back to me through the experience of living through the pandemic. For you, it could have been anything. That's not the part that matters. Here's what does matter. Those things that we think we're powerless to Inside of a difficult experience, you're not. The moments, they live and they breathe, and the stories, they stew inside of you until you liberate them. That is your power. When the moment passes, when you go back to your new normal, you get to decide if you walk away from it or walk with it. And what the next part of the story will be. We are at the end, and I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for sticking with this story. It truly means the world to me, and I'd love to hear from you. Find me on social media and drop me a DM. I will write back. To all the HB2 ladies, remember when we were on the ship and I did my symposium at sea and I explained how we were going to make this story together? Whether or not your voice appeared in the series, I need you to know that you're part of the story as well. And I couldn't have done it without you. And thank you. This story was written, hosted, and produced by me, Samantha Hodder. Sound mix by Christy Chan. Original music by Poddington Bear. Original theme song by Gabriel Corindia. And now that we're at the end of the story, I want to share a little secret with you. I made this for almost zero production dollars. The industry price for this runs about 150K. I didn't have that kind of budget. So please, if you loved it, share it. For this episode, I'd like to thank the following people. Dr. Joanna Young, who taught me about whiskey ice. Fabian Datner. Leslie Ann Houghton. Dr. Karen Alexander. Pervy Gupta. Dr. Gaia Dallarizia. Dr. Fern Wixon. Dr. Helen Corney. Greg Mortimer. Captain Valdemar Wickman. Natasha Mia. Yi Tang Wang. Amanda Kirk, Veronique Florek, 
Commander Rebecca Waddington, Dr. Hilary McManus, Dr. Rami Zinger, Professor Susan Scott, Alice Ruesa, Nicole Fetchett, Dr. Sarah Lucas, and Jessica Brainard. I'm Samantha Hodder, and this is Our Time.